Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Mike. And today we've got uh, Josh and Tim with us in the booth. And Josh is back from his trip to South Africa. What's going on, everybody? Tim, you know he said three, two, one. His head. His head. Oh, yeah, he did a sil- the silent count. Silent three, two, one. <laughs> Omaha. You, you guys know that. Did that even come up in an intro before? Do people know the story of that? The three, two, one? Yeah. There's not much of a story. You say three, two, one. Every time before you start an intro, nobody knows about it because we always cut it out. That was right. the, that was the whole but, story. But I don't have to. Like, there's no point to it. I like your repetition, though. You know, like the way you do anything is the way you do. Nope, that's not it. The way you do everything is the way you do anything. <laughs> that's right. You, you get it. But uh, consistency. Yeah. You know, consistency is important. But <laughs> Josh, how was South Africa? You weren't you weren't eaten by any lions, so seems sure, like a good there's trip. There's significantly less lions than I expected. <laughs> to be completely honest, <laughs> showing up there very ignorant of anything outside of. Uh, the U.S. or Ohio, for that matter. It's I, a little different. I, yeah, I expected, I expected many more uh, wild animal encounters than what I received. Dude, it is the most beautiful place I've ever seen in my entire life. And I was, I'll preface this as I do most things that I try to say where it's my opinion. Like, I'm ignorant on a lot of things. I'm not an economist. But my opinion is that, and whether it's like 20 years, 100 years, however long it takes them to fully recover from apartheid, uh, they're, that's got to be the most it's going to be the most sought after place in the world to visit. Like, and, and the travel to get there has got to get better, I think, because 24 hours of travel or whatever, obviously depends where you are in the world, but let's just say that you want to go from the U.S. It's not super realistic, mm-hmm. but if they can lock that down and fix the, uh, the wealth inequality thing, like you can't build a home in this place with a bad view. You're in like the most magnificent mountains you've ever seen. You're in one country and then you look the other direction, you have it, the ocean and the weather's perfect. It's like San Diego. (laughs) (laughs) And that's another funny story. So our editor this week sent an email with the most ridiculous picture ID of a Californian I'd ever seen. And he said that he thought he imagines that that's what Mike San Diego looks like. So uh, that was your alter ego. Yeah, my alter ego. He, the guy had like, you know, sunscreen on his nose, shades, the big mullet haircut. Uh, But even our editors in on the joke at this point. (laughs) I appreciate it. Yeah, so this week, uh, you know, we might as well talk about our guest at this point, Dr. Kevin Klingel. Dr. Klingel was was awesome. He was a great, great interview, and his experiences and everything he's done at Nationwide is pretty impressive. Yeah, and there's no doubt that everything he's achieved uh, and then that we got to talk about throughout the episode and hear his insights and how he's approached his career and his education and his passion for what he's doing has been, uh, it was just, it was super cool to hear about. Yeah, and he and a, a friend of his are doing something pretty cool as well with the the Miracle League baseball stadium that they built up in, I think it was New Albany. It's a, uh, it's really, really cool project. He talks a little bit about it. I'd recommend you guys check it out if you can. Yeah, but, that was the most exciting part for me. I, I really enjoyed it. And you could tell like that. he was passionate about it too. You know, like he really, really meant a lot to him to to work on that project. So I feel like it's really easy once you're successful to just be successful. But mm-hmm. when people take time out of busy success to to give back and help out, that's uh, that means a lot. Yeah, absolutely. So hope you guys enjoyed this episode. We did, and we'll be right back. This is Conquering Columbus. Hey there, Conquerors. Jenny Brittenbauer of Jenny's Splendid Ice Creams. I'm truly never comfortable. When I'm comfortable, I'm bored. I just have to keep going. Only when you're a little bit scared are you in a place where you're about to learn something. 
We're explorers, and explorers are making discoveries because they are going places where people haven't before. Urban Meyer. There's one guarantee in this world, and that's hard work will be rewarded. And hard work, you have to embrace discomfort. I love how you said that, live uncomfortably. Donato's Jane Abel. We have a umbrella idea of agape capitalism, which is about doing business and doing it with love and giving back to the community. And I believe in our products, but more importantly, I believe in our people. Pelotonia CEO, Doug Oldman. There's this genuine pride for things that were born and raised in Columbus. And that's awesome. At the same time, there's this beautiful Midwest humility. People don't necessarily care about who gets credit. Cameron Mitchell of Cameron Mitchell Restaurants. One of our goals is to be better today than we were yesterday and better tomorrow than we are today. And that goal stays the same 24-7, 365. This is Conquering Columbus. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Mike. We got everybody in the booth today. Josh, Tim, what's going on? Not much, man. I'm just excited that the sun is out in Ohio and it's 60 degrees, which is 95 degrees in Ohio weather. Temperature. Right? <laughs> yeah. In, in San Diego weather, it's a, it's 95 outside right in, now. No, in San Diego weather, it's like 30 outside. But yeah, you San know. Diego walked out in this weather. They burned their house down. <laughs> yeah, they have and they, gloves and everything. They moved to Columbus, Ohio. Are we ever going to drop this? No, no. I haven't personally mentioned myself that I'm from San Diego. You in don't like need to anymore. Two you, or three years. Your legacy but, lives on through Josh. And right, right, right. You guys keep it going just to remind everybody. I, I do work from home pretty often. Often and I, uh, I work in a, I'm living in a condo building and my trash can is all the way downstairs. So I kind of let it build up a little bit. Taking the trash out today, there was two loads. That was the highlight of my day. I walked outside expecting cold and it was 63 degrees. And I walked all the way around my building and went in the other door just so I could be outside longer. Tim, so, when you wouldn't grab somebody else's trash and brought yeah, it Yeah, I was like, too. anybody <laughs> else need your trash? I'm doing trash today. <laughs> right, right. But it was just that level of not miserable cold you forget how like good that feels. Yeah. It seems such like a minute thing, but it, it, it made the whole day better. So, so now under our intro, right now on our intro, my voice is warmed up. There's a lot of big words in this intro. So forgive me if I uh, mess something up here, but our guest today is Dr. Kevin Klingle and Dr. Klingle is the chief of orthopedic surgery at nationwide children's hospital, as well as the director of the nationwide children's fellowship program. Uh, he's also the surgical director of sports medicine at Nationwide Children's Hospital and adjunct assistant professor of orthopedic surgery at the Ohio State University College of Medicine. And he received his medical degree from the Ohio State University. After completing his residency at Indiana University, he completed a fellowship in pediatric orthopedic surgery at Boston's Children's Hospital. And he's also a member of the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons, Columbus Orthopedic Society, the Ohio Orthopedic Society, Central Ohio Pediatric Association, Pediatric Orthopedic Society of North America, International Perthy Study Group, and the Gillespie Pediatric Orthopedic Study Group. That's a lot of groups, Dr. Klingle. And uh, we're really excited to have him on the show today to talk about his career, his role at Nationwide Children's, and everything else he has going on today. Welcome to Conquering Columbus, Dr. Klingle, and thanks so much for making time for us, because I imagine you seem like you'd be a busy guy. It's great to be here. Appreciate it. Something new to me, so... I'm excited to do that. Yeah, it sounds like you're just getting your career started, huh? Trying. Just just dipping dipping your toe into the medical field? (laughs) Right, right. Just dipping the toe. And so kind of one of the first places we like to start is take a little bit of a step back and talk about how you got to where you are today. And that probably starts with medical school. So what what made you decide to go to medical school originally and why Ohio State? A long and fortunate story, probably. Had a lot of good breaks along the way. I grew up in Fayetteville, Arkansas, and uh, not with many physicians in the family, had a very good early exposure to anatomy and exercise physiology in high school. Decided I want to go into medicine, I thought, uh, and then was fortunate enough with an undergraduate exposure 
uh, at the University of Notre Dame to have an exposure to that side of what I thought I wanted to do. When I was in undergraduate studies, my parents moved to Akron, Ohio, which made Ohio State in-state medical school for me, which was the first probably big fortunate step for me because at the time I didn't know anything about Ohio State. I didn't know anything about an Ohio State-Michigan rivalry. I grew up in the South and uh, was a new world to me. So, But that allowed me to come to Ohio State where I met my wife and uh, grew fond of Columbus and everything around it and had a great uh, medical school experience. So that's kind of how I ended up there and why we honestly kind of wanted to come back. Um, all of my families now... Ohio and including my in-laws. So I was going to say now we now it's time for the most important question of the show. Ohio State and Notre Dame play. Who are you rooting for? That's been a tough question, but uh, I have a son who's an undergraduate student at Ohio State. My wife graduated from Ohio State, so we now have more Ohio State gear in the house than Notre Dame gear. Uh, so you're kind of outnumbered then. Well, I'm I'm going to. It hasn't been hard to root for Ohio State over the last twenty years. <laughs> <laughs> they do make it easy. Yeah. So what about why Arkansas to Indiana and why even Notre Dame in the first place? I had a lot of family in Northern Indiana, uh, my grandparents, aunts and uncles and such. My, I have one older sister who went to the University of Notre Dame and I basically followed her, visited one time. And I remember it distinctly as a night game against Penn State when Tim Brown ran a couple of kickoff returns back in the snow. And I said, I wanted to go here at the time, but grew up as an Arkansas Razorback fan and loyal and never saw myself leaving Arkansas. So it worked out. Our sponsor is Waveform Music Group. Andy and Carlin have been working with us to take the production of Conquering Columbus to the next level, and Josh and I cannot be happier with the results. Outside of podcast production, Andy and Carlin are experts in songwriting, music production, and sonic branding for companies of all sizes. And to learn more about them, head to their website, createwaveforms.com. That is createwaveforms.com, and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you. So you wrap up undergrad, and then do you go to each of your different uh, additional um, education institutions and training consecutive back-to-back-to-back? Are there any breaks in between there? So straight from medical school, went into residency, decided I want to do orthopedic surgery, matched at Indiana University in Indianapolis. So I was there for five years. That's when uh, I got married. Molly followed. We got married, and then uh, after five years in, of straight orthopedic residency, and training, decided to do pediatrics, uh, spent a year in Boston following that experience. And orthopedic surgery, correct me if I'm wrong, is a pretty competitive field in terms of, you know, going after those residencies and going after those types of, is it an appointment? Is I can't remember the term for it, the fellowship, right? Don't you have to get a fellowship to you go know, that route and you have to kind of earn that right through medical school? It's a very competitive field to get into through medical school. A lot of people want to do orthopedics for very good reasons. And so it's not an easy specialty to get into after or following medical school. And then once you complete your residency, you do not have to do a fellowship, but a lot of guys will subspecialize in whatever spine, hand, other subspecialties within orthopedics. I chose pediatrics very early based on the experience and the mentors I had in residency. At one point, I thought I wanted to be a pediatrician in medical school, so it kind of was a natural fit for me. So talk a little bit about residency experience and those mentorships. Like what, what was residency like for you? And even maybe if you can recall back on why pediatrics really stuck out to you? It's all an exposure. And I would say, you know, people talk about the glory days of medicine. I'm old enough to speak of them as glory days now. But back when I did residency, there were uh, no work hour restrictions. It was it was a grind that people talked about. And so we would go, we'd get up, we'd work all day, all night through the night, 
work the next day till seven or eight, go home, study for two or three hours for the cases the next day and get up and do it again. So five years of a true grind of exhaustion and, but uh, honestly, probably some of the, probably the best five years that I can really look back on fondly. Uh, You grow strong and great friendships with the residents who are with you because of what you're doing and the workload. And it was early on, I trained at a place that had a high exposure and experience within pediatrics. So the chairman of my department was a pediatric orthopedist who was very well known. And so we got to do more pediatric rotation than most other residencies in in the country. Not why I went there, going there, but it ended up being good for me. And at the time there were several older staff, but some younger staff that had just come out of residency. There was a chief resident who uh, I knew as a young intern who stayed on to become a pediatric orthopedic staff surgeon, all of kind of who took me on and really showed me why they did it. And it was just a great, great exposure. They taught me why why I wanted to be pediatrics uh, in nature for sure. So how does pediatric orthopedics differ from just general orthopedics, other than the fact that obviously you're working with kids versus adults, but there's gotta be some, some major differences in the way you go about, you know, even if it's a, the same thing, right? Like an ACL tear or a surgery like that, that for a child who's growing, it, I'm imagining that there's probably a lot of differences in how you handle that surgery. Completely opposite. I mean, it's it's a separate field for various reasons, but you, you know, you're dealing with, we'll operate sometimes on one week old babies um, all the way up to teenagers and college age kids or older for if they have congenital problems. But uh, you're dealing with congenital issues. You're dealing with what may be routine fractures and injuries, like you say, but you have to understand that there's growth involved and you can't affect the growth by treating these kids different ways. And so you change how you're altering or you alter some of your operative procedures. ACL, for instance, in a child or a male that's under 13, 13 and a half, you cannot do an ACL reconstruction or shouldn't probably uh, in a typical way that you would in URI or a 18, 19 year old, because you could disrupt their growth or cause them to grow not straight or not full. And so- that's what's fun about it. it be, you can become a general orthopedist. You're dealing with issues that are just different for kids that all kids are pretty much good patients. We don't have, we don't have problematic patients. We may have problematic parents every once in a while uh, <laughs> who are on board with getting their kid better. But for the most part, kids get better, kids heal, and kids do well. We're going to take a quick break here to thank one of our sponsors, the Burlett Family Foundation. The Burlett Family Foundation is committed to serving as a trusted partner and resource to organizations striving to improve our community here in Columbus. All right, let's get back to the episode. So you wrap up your residency and then eventually you make your your way to Nationwide Children's. Does that happen uh, pretty quickly or, or what does that progression path look like? So from Indiana, I went, I did a year of pediatric orthopedic fellowship. So I was in, uh, we lived in Boston, moved to Boston, 2001, 2000, 2001. And I spent a year at Boston Children's Hospital learning the field of pediatric orthopedics, specializing a little bit in sports medicine up there and some other just general pediatric training. And then at that time, it was time to get a real job. And we came back to Columbus, close to home. And at the time, that was Columbus Children's Hospital, not Nationwide Children's Hospital, and was a well-respected but community-based, high-volume surgical place. But... um, still a very uh, small town type feel to a pediatric center at the time. How did you like the city of Boston when you lived there compared to where else you lived and growing up in the South? Boston is a wonderful town. 
we had a wonderful, I mean, you can do anything and everything you want in Boston. I push my kids to, to consider, I'd love my kids to go to school in Boston. Really? It's a vibrant, young, very academic town, much like a lot of bigger cities, but more so from the ones I've been around. Boston people are so engaged in Boston. It makes it a culture that living there for a year was a one of the best years of our lives. It's a unique, since it's so old, it's a very uh, unique city compared to some of the newer developments, especially with the roads. They yeah. just, a lot of them don't make any sense. Yeah. But you can do anything and everything you want Yeah. within an hour train ride, drive, no matter what you want to be, going north, going south. But well, you like living here better than there, of course. Oh, right? of course. Yeah. Right, right. Perfect, yeah. Perfect. Columbus is better. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny though. I've talked to so many people about Boston. I have this kind of majestic uh, vision of it in my head of what it's like, but my, my, I've never been there. My only um, actual like experiences are the town and Goodwill hunting, which are like two of my favorite movies. And I think that if I go there, I might actually ruin it from what <laughs> it is in my head. So I'm like, I don't really have to ever go. If I get a Boston craving, I throw in Goodwill hunting and then I, and then I call it a day. And then I feel like I traveled, you know, the world a little bit, but I'm curious, <laughs> what does that look like from a medical perspective? Like you've traveled and, and probably been so many places and you, You've watched the medical ecosystem, especially in orthopedics. Is it Columbus and nationwide somewhere that's, that's truly really unique and special? It's become that quickly. You know, the vision of the hospital system that I work in has changed over the last 15, even 10 years. And when I, again, when Columbus Children's took the initiative to become a nationally renowned pediatric center, they did it with the heart and soul of what they were built on, which was a community-based good care of patient type feel, and they've done it the right way. And so over the last 10 to 15 years, watching you know, my hospital and my facilities and how they've grown um, from a research standpoint, from a prominent standpoint, and just a clinical care standpoint has been unbelievable. And that goes back to when I said I was fortunate to be in the right spot at the right time. That was coming here uh, straight out of fellowship and building a career early and then being a part of the transformation that's taken over these last few years has been uh, extremely fortunate for me and allowed me never have to never having to move and building a pretty good career here. So what are your responsibilities as chief of orthopedic surgery? I mean, outside of obviously you're still doing surgery, I'd mm -hmm. imagine, but I'm guessing there's some other responsibilities that come with that. Sure. I mean, when I took over as this role in 2014, I believe, when two of my predecessors had started to slow down and talked about retirement and John Keene decided that he was going to slow down. And so this role kind of just found its way towards me. It wasn't anything that I thought I would ever do or even considered being somewhat young at the time. But my main job at that point and goal, as I saw it, was strategically try to keep up with the pace of the hospital change and bring orthopedics up to the, along the same pace that the hospital was seeing. That kind of goal you know, stems from both research and academics and expansion of clinical care. And so early on, we were a very clinically driven department. We did a lot of surgery, took care of a lot of patients, but we needed to expand that to a higher academic and research role. And so early on, we built a good research team. I was taught early to recruit people that were smarter and better than I was. And we've doubled the department in the last three to four years, brought in people who can do a lot of great things and uh, for the right reason. And so that was my main goal was to build the department and strategically place it to a top five program, hopefully over the next year. On top of that, right? Like there's people can go to Boston, they can go to New York, they can go to San Diego, looking at you guys. <laughs> 
but you know, they <laughs> can they go can to come LA. To Columbus, why would they ever go to San Diego? Right. Well, that's the question I'm getting at is how do you get some of the best orthopedic surgeons to come to Columbus and be a part of that research team? I'd imagine money helps. Well, right. Money would help, <laughs> but you know, I imagine like they can get money anywhere if you're one mm -hmm. of the best. Yeah. You're exactly right. And it takes them getting here to see it. I was, we were having uh, fellowship interviews earlier today and I has, I was asked a similar question by an applicant today because it's people who aren't from Ohio or have been to Columbus don't know what Columbus really holds and or the, the hospital system that they were interviewing for. And so, but I will say unanimously that if I get a candidate that comes down and sees the facilities here, without a doubt, Nationwide Children's Hospital facilities are top one or two in the country, if not world, on just facility access and what the, what the administration and the system will give us to do what we want to do. And so they see that, it's a much easier sell. But it's not easy to get a candidate from middle of Colorado mountains living in Denver to come live in Ohio. They don't know what Columbus truly holds. So you settled them this vision of what they can become and, and what they can achieve, it sounds like. As you're looking at going through these interviews and recruiting and building a team versus actually executing on a daily basis and, and being kind of in the thick of things previously before you were in uh, a leadership role, where do you reflect back on and like the most? Are there other, is it equal? Is it even to you? Or do you, do you miss certain things of actually being in the tactical side? I've maintained a very productive clinical side of my practice. And that was one thing that I was not going to give up because that's the one thing I truly love. The tactical and strategic side is the fun part. You know, the building of new buildings, the building of new clinic space, that's the fun part. But the most enjoyable and reason I got into pediatric orthopedics was to take care of patients. So I try to maintain that. So you will still, you will still operate and, and see patients oh, today? Yes. So I've maintained a very busy practice still, and I won't give that part up. And so it's hard to sometimes balance the, I would call it non-clinical time and clinical time, but you just have to find a way to do that. How do you find time for things outside of work? Balance can be tough. You know, I made a point early on in my career that I was not going to do meetings after 4.30, 5 o'clock. Even now, as a, in the, my non-clinical roles, I try to maintain that. I'd like to consider myself a family first guy. I've done the best I can over the years to try to make it to every ball game with my kids and go to dances. And, you know, that kind of thing is a priority to me. That's more of a priority than my work. And so it's, you know, depending on the day you ask my wife, she may answer this question a little bit differently. But uh, I think maintaining that home support and maintaining that life and having a supportive system at home has allowed me to do that. I would say my family sacrificed some for sure to let me do what I do. You know, I've heard my wife say I'm on call constantly or all the time, or I'm never off call. And so you, you'll do things at home that you need to do, or you'll work at home on hours that you shouldn't be working, but it allows you, if it allows you to get out the next day to, to get to a school event or take your kid to, to school, that kind of stuff. That's what I try to do. Hey, everybody. We're going to take a quick break here to talk about one of our sponsors, One Columbus. You know, it really couldn't be cooler to have a sponsor and a partner like One Columbus. They are directly in alignment with everything we stand for and everything we're looking to promote here at Conquering Columbus. I mean, they just want to bring the most competitive companies to the area and make everything about the city and the region just one of the greatest places to live in the United States and in the world for that matter. Yeah, they're like the ultimate Columbus hype man. They're trying to bring new businesses here, show them what our strengths are, but also address some of the weaknesses and say, like, this is how we could get better. So for us, we're excited to help promote their goal and help tell the story with them on board. Absolutely. And if you guys want to learn more about One Columbus, check them out at columbusregion.com. That's columbusregion.com. 
you know, you talk about going through residency and the grind that it is, and there's probably so many people that are following a similar path, whether it's in orthopedics or it's in some other field of medicine, or maybe it's just strictly in business and they're grinding really, really hard right now. Is there kind of a, a light at the end of the tunnel for you in terms of aspects? Like when you go home at five, are you fully shutting off? Or are you still, you know, doing work into the evenings? Is, is it is it something where you have to be passionate because it never stops or does it eventually slow down? It may slow down a little bit, but it never stops. But again, if you're passionate about what you're doing, I tell my kids this all the time. It's, I can't see myself doing anything else. I wouldn't ever consider doing anything else because I love what I do. And the reward that comes with taking care of kids, I've been doing this long enough now that I'm seeing patients who are bringing their kids in to see me. I'm I'm getting old, but are seeing a child that I operated on when they were one or two, and now they're playing high school sports and they're coming across the basketball court to thank me for taking care of their club foot when they were a baby. Those are the things that keep me driving and things that I love why I do. So what are some of the current initiatives that your team at Nationwide Children's has going on right now? I mean, outside of obviously continuing to grow the department and keeping you guys at the, you know, the top of pediatric orthopedics and, and, you know, continuing that trend, are there any like key initiatives, any research you're really excited about? Like what's, what's going on? Well, clinically, we've really tried to drive a more centered approach. And so we're bringing more subspecialized care into our department, which is becoming more common around the country. But here we recently started such programs as a Center for Comprehensive Spine Care, where we collaborate with the neurosurgery team and dedicate true spine-centered care to some of these children. That along with the Center for Hip Preservation or Center for Limb Lengthening and Reconstruction really allows us to centralize care and bring in other you know, multi-specialty care for these specific disorders that we're seeing in some of these kids. So that's one of our big initiatives now to just improve the care, get more patient outcome-based uh, care for these uh, children. And then what about the Miracle League Baseball Facility? Can you tell us a little bit about that initiative and, and how it's uh, come together and, and what the direction is for the future? Yeah, sure. Thanks for bringing that up. That's uh, become, as I mentioned earlier, one of my big, if not biggest passion now. That is a story that began probably three to four years ago, I would say, when one of one of the Ohio State greats here, his son became one of my patients at Nationwide Children's early on in life. And Simon Frazier and I became very close friends because of his family. And it was uh, a day probably, I guess, four years ago where uh, Bryn, who I had treated surgically for several times and had grown up with, and he was in my office and he asked me to come watch him play baseball. And I looked at Simon and kind of said, you know, what does this mean? I didn't know Brent was playing baseball. And he's like, you need to come watch him play baseball. And he made the comment to me at that point that he, you know, he goes, you know, I've been through a lot of big sporting events in my life, but nothing as special as what you'll see if you come out and watch him. And so that weekend, my wife and I and our kids, we went out and watched uh, Brent play Miracle League baseball. And at the time, you know, we grew up, I, we have a baseball family. All my boys played ba- lots of years of baseball and uh, in a good baseball community. And I witnessed this and I thought, you know, this is a life-changing event that I'm watching here and watching these kids and do what they're doing and, and the effect it's having on the kids and the people that were helping these children play baseball and just the overall feel of it. And so decided at the time that that was going to be our drive as a family and to create a Miracle League park in the community we live in, which is New Albany, to serve that side of town in Columbus and outside areas. And so that became a vision and goal three or four years ago in that, you know, we started the 501 non-for-profit. We've created, you know, put together a board and, and over the last three years, I've raised over over a million dollars 
with local donors and some corporate sponsorships lately that have allowed us to now, we broke ground this fall to build the first part of our hope and dream of a miracle park in the central part of New Albany. So first phase will be the baseball diamond, which is a Miracle League baseball field for special needs kids. And uh, and then hopefully with time and growth, we're going to end up putting areas for all kinds of special needs, adaptive sports type things to have a true park where we can bring these kids to get equal access and equal exposure. So that's where we are now in that goal. That's awesome. What's that called? It's called the Miracle League of New Albany right now. And are you guys still raising funding for that? Yes. It's a constant raise. And so again, phase one for this is allowing us to build the baseball field, Mm -hmm. dugouts, grandstands and such. But um, next phase will include an, an all adaptive fitness area, playground area, but to generalize fitness We've teamed with Nationwide Children's and several other to put some science behind it and mm-hmm. study these kids. And wonderful, wonderful thing. we got a lot of dream to, to go. Yeah. And, and if our listeners out there wanted to support that, where would where would they go? You can look up Miracle League of New Albany okay. or www.namiracleleague.org. And yeah, if you guys want to learn more about that, check that out. It sounds awesome. It's just one of those things that would make you feel good to support. So It's a true community drive and a community mm-hmm. effort. And we're fortunate to be in the community with the friends and the leaders around us who have all really bought in, the city's bought in, and the support has been unbelievable. Just getting out and seeing it, people believe it and mm-hmm. uh, see the effect it can have on these kids. It gives them a good escape from the daily life and grind they have. For me, like it resonates because I think Josh and I wrestled in college and in high school, but there's always videos that go around in the wrestling community of special needs kids who get on the mat and wrestle. And it's like, it's, it's hugely impactful. Mm-hmm. And I think that sports is a great outlet for that. It's a great way to kind of just get that experience that sometimes people lack because they don't have the capabilities that others have. And that's, uh, sports is something that I'm super passionate right. about. And I think that that is a great thing. Hey, everybody. We're going to take a quick break here to talk about one of our sponsors, Hybeck. It's actually just me and Tim in the booth because, well, Josh is on his way over to the restaurant right now. So unluckily for us, we don't get any special treatment. I don't think he's bringing us back a pizza or anything. I don't think so. I'm a little jealous. We love Hybeck. I mean, I go there all the time. Their hot honey pizza they got going right now. Yep. That's what I was going to say. As soon as we had him on the episode, I called in before they even left and ordered it and picked it up on the way out. And it was the best we're talking about the restaurant, but High Bank's a lot more than just a restaurant. They distill whiskey and gin and vodka. They've got all kinds of cool stuff. I mean, they brought in a couple of different options for us to try recently, and I really like this Midnight Cask. It's a mixture, I think, of whiskey along with a port wine, and it kind of tastes like a Manhattan, but it's like double the strength. If you haven't listened to the episode yet, listen to the episode. I mean, the story behind the organization is great too, so. Yeah, it's a bunch of local entrepreneurs that just have a passion for making good food and great drinks. They just launched a thing called the Whiskey Society too, which I joined. And if you really like booze, it's worth checking out. It pays for itself just in the entry fee and then you'll get cards for drinks every month. They put on events. Right now they're on Zoom, but teach you how to make drinks, tell you what to use, why you use those things. It's definitely for the whiskey enthusiast. I've enjoyed my membership so far, that's for sure. So if you guys like High Bank, if you're looking for a restaurant, somewhere to watch the game. If you're looking to put in an order for a pickup, check out High Bank, man. Their food's great. They're great people. Yeah. And we love their drinks. And get the hot honey pizza. Get the hot honey pizza. I All promise right. you will love it. All right. Now back to the show. Probably a good place to kind of head towards some of our last questions of the show, Dr. Klingle. And the first one would be, hey, do you have any advice for our listeners out there? A lot of them are young professionals, entrepreneurs, 25, 35. Some of them are in college, right? But mostly the you know, under 35 crowd. Sorry, anybody out there who's not in that crowd, but you know, they're looking to continue their careers. They have questions about where they're going. Would you have any advice for them? 
Sure. I think finding a passion is the first and important thing you do. And if you can find that passion, you are lucky and drive with it. You know, I get asked quite a bit because of what I do about leadership and what that means. And I was uh, fortunate to have people who taught me early on principles of what I think are true and helped got me to where I am. First and foremost was just humility. And I think, um, you know, there's no role when you're going for your passion for a self-promotion, blind ambition. It's a uh, something that you need to be able to promote others to get to where you want to be. Success doesn't always have to be searched for. It will find you by staying true to your identity. And so humility, loyalty, you know, being faithful to your home, being faithful to the people you work with all go a long way and that allows you to promote others. And so sometimes you can have to you have to take a little bit of backseat to your own career and thoughts and own drive and what you think of as your own ambition. To me that's doing it the right way. And so I guess the the bottom line would be you don't have to go searching for success. Success will find you if you're doing it with those principles in the right way. I think that's great advice. And that gives us a good opportunity to head towards our last question of the show. And it's centered around the theme here on Conquering Columbus. And that theme is live uncomfortably. And without telling you too much about why we chose that particular phrase, what do you think of when you hear it? How does it apply to your life and career? I would go back to what I think I just said about success and the principles to get you there. It's not always comfortable to drive by those principles, especially in today's world where people are pushed to self-promote. People are pushed to tell people their accomplishments and to break out of some of those models or break out some of those principles. And so you can be uncomfortable trying to stay true to yourself. And so in my mind, if you're going to live uncomfortably, that means that you're staying true to who you are. Yeah. Staying true to yourself can't always be comfortable. Right. There's going to be some hard decisions you have to make at certain points in your life and staying true to yourself requires a little bit of uncomfortability. So I, I can appreciate that, Dr. Klingel. Thanks so much for joining us. It's been great talking to you and we really appreciate you taking the time to tell your story here on the show. Sure. Thank you. And everybody, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed that interview, you want to hear more just like it, hit that subscribe button on whatever podcast app you're listening on. Go check us out on Instagram at Conquering Seabus and check out Tim's page, Only in Seabus at Only in Seabus. We'll talk to you again next week. Thank you.